Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You have to work with excellence and you have to be consistent with it. There has to be consistent, daily, active pursuit of improving welcome to the best ever show the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff best ever listeners welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm slocum reed and today we are joined by will glaffenheim Will is joining us from Farragut, Tennessee. He is the owner of Honors Real Estate Services, which is his sales brokerage, primarily focused on single family in markets across East Tennessee. He is also a real estate investor. His current portfolio consists of apartments, office buildings, and assisted living with assets under management of $85 million. Will, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. Thanks for having me, first off. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having a conversation. Born and raised in Knoxville, went to Farragut High School with your wife, it sounds like. Graduated University of Tennessee with a logistics supply chain degree, and I worked for Amazon out of school. And then we moved back home, started a real estate company, and then we've diversified a lot since then from just being a real estate brokerage. So that's one of the four main companies that we run, all with real estate investing bend on it, if that makes sense. It does. Will, what are those four companies? So we have LLCs branched underneath all of them. So Honors Home Services is our construction company that we have that does a lot of our commercial and residential construction from our investments. We have a flipping company that's called RE Closers. We have this company, Honors Real Estate Services, and then we also have several different apartment entities. So every time we get an apartment complex, depending on the size, we'll create a new entity under like a larger umbrella, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I'm fairly similarly structured based in Cincinnati, Ohio, not too far up I-75 from you. So I know from your written bio that you did some single family house flipping. Two questions. One, what is it that led you into apartments, office, and assisted living? And is it all in the Knoxville metro? It's all in East Tennessee. So we're in six different counties. We go as far as Middle Tennessee, then all the way down to Chattanooga. We've tried to acquire assets up in Johnson City near Kentucky and stuff like that. 
we've had several under contract, but weren't able to close. But yeah, kind of the evolution of the real estate investing that I have is just kind of follow the money, if that makes sense. I'm not necessarily an investor where I just pick an asset class and that's what I want to do. Like, let's do apartments and then I'm only focused on apartments because the market changes, the market shifts and everything. And their opportunities are created and other opportunities are no longer there. So we try to be sensitive to the marketplace and follow the investment assets that are the best options at the time. So like when we got into apartments, our first apartment we bought was in 2018, which was a great time. I wish I was buying them longer, but I'm only 34 years old. So I didn't have any assets to really buy anything until about, 2018 and then really started trying to focus on where can we grow where can we start create passive income how can we start utilizing this capital that we've acquired and really expand the operations from a real estate side yeah that makes sense most of the investors i know who are asset agnostic one way to put it are focused on a particular metro or a particular region of the country that makes sense and they often say things like they follow the opportunities of the market. We're recording at the end of 2023. We have a fairly sophisticated listener base, so I don't need to recap what's happened the last two, three years in real estate and in the world in general. When and where was the high quality office building opportunity? The office building we bought the end of the year last year. We closed on it December 31st of 22. Part of it, we make investment decisions based on our global standing and not necessarily individual assets. So we try to look at it as a global entity. So with all of the companies and stuff that we have, A, we needed an office space. And then B, with the ability of the construction company and all the connections and overlays that we had, it made sense with the tax write-off, the ability to expand our ability to renovate at a very healthy cost and able to sublease spaces out. And it made sense from a global perspective to acquire the office building. And we just wrote a check for it last day of the year. The office market's been struggling, so we saw an opportunity to get it way below market. I offered on the building December 16th with a December 31st close, and we closed on the 31st. <laughs> and it's been about 10 months renovating it. Gotcha. In part, the opportunity was office was struggling. So you could get in cheap, especially with that quick closing, get it to happen in 2022, both for you and for the seller. But also part of the play was that space was for you, but also lease out the space that you aren't using, or at least while you don't need it. Correct. Because we have big plans and plan to grow. So if we have plans to grow, you need people to do that. If you don't have a place for them to work, it's hard to do that. And you're put in a hard spot trying to figure out, well, I need to hire three more acquisition people and two more admin, and I need a project manager and all that stuff. And if we don't have the space to facilitate that, we're not positioning ourselves with the trajectory that we're wanting to go. So a lot of it was long-term trajectory focused for where we are wanting to go. And at the same time, we got a great deal being able to see the struggling market in that one place. Knoxville as a metro is growing like crazy. Lots of big companies coming in and long-term, I think it'll be a really good decision that we made on that one particular thing. But I don't necessarily focus on office. Like kind of what we said, the agnosticism of the marketplace is just where does the market go? Because we've been having trouble purchasing assets through apartments 
because it's no cash flow. If I don't make a lot of money on it, I don't do it. <laughs> so we pick our shots. Like when we did the assisted living deal that we have, that's 85 beds. We're doing independent living and memory care on it. So we got 85 beds in Farragut. It's like the primo property, the primo location. And when we contracted that, that was in 2019. And that's a ground up construction deal. So obviously COVID happened and that was a scary time for assisted living with elderly people and lockdowns and everything. Had a bunch of bump in the roads on the construction, but that's fully stabilized and cash flowing really, really well. And we're starting looking into the next phase of building that project out. I was planning to ask about your assisted living next. I will say, well, I did the same thing for my own office needs. When it came time for me to have a proper office here in Cincinnati, I bought a building that required some renovation and then it was large enough that most of it is still leased out. Some of my office tenants listen to this podcast actually, but as I need room to grow and as my tenants decide to leave, I'll just take on those portions of the office space for my own uses. Yeah, I think a lot of it in real estate investing, because, you know, everyone wants to make a lot of money and everyone wants to protect their assets and reduce their taxes and all of those things. I think you have to have a really broad mentality on where do you want to go? There has to be a purpose. There has to be an end goal. And really the end goal for us, I don't really have a net worth or an asset allocation goal. It's just every single day through consistency and discipline never slowing down when other people pull back. And it's like, we don't ever pull back. We just reposition because there's always opportunities in the marketplace, even with high interest rates, high interest rates and inflation create other opportunities, but it also kills other opportunities that were previous and opportunities. So instead of sticking our head down and being hard headed and trying to push through towards the asset classes that we've been using, we have to look at it as a global and where's the market moving. Industrial is really great, right? I haven't gotten into any industrial stuff. That's kind of its own niche and everything. But the industrial marketplace, at least in our region, is absolutely incredible right now. But that's hard because you're dealing with a lot of big REITs and stuff. Apartment's good because you can get into a 20-unit or a 40-unit or a 50-unit relatively easy without even needing any partners and stuff. With your assisted living project, are you operating both the independent living and the memory care in-house or have you hired third-party operators for that business? The big GP on that is the operator as well. So in that particular instance, he grabbed a group of people who are well-known in the community and offered LP partnerships with them. So I'm not a GP on that one. All my other assets, I'm a GP or full owner on, but that individual one, we contracted out with a large commercial builder and the operation side, because the operation side of assisted living is massive. It's a big difference between a lot of the stuff that we do. It's a very niche thing. So we outsource that. Yeah, that's why I was going to ask is that assisted living is often more an operating business tied to real estate than it is an old real estate investment. Correct. Because it's so operational heavy. Because you got all sorts of health restrictions and food codes and all sorts of stuff like that. Do you manage your apartments? I have a management company that does it for me. Is that a management company in-house or third party? I in-house manage one of our projects, but we have a third party manager that does the rest of them. Nice. The main reason for that is because we have the 135 or so units that scattered site. If I had like 135 units in a single location, I'd have an office manager, an on-site property manager and stuff like that because it would make sense because the volume's there. 
But since I got several 20 units, a 12 unit, an eight unit, a 32 unit, and they're in different areas. I have 17 unit. We're flipping an 11 unit right now in Chattanooga. So since they're kind of all over the place, it's really hard to manage that in-house since it's the logistics of it and the scatteredness of it makes it a little bit difficult. It doesn't make financial sense to do it ourselves. That does make sense. I mentioned this already, but recording effectively at the end of 2023. Will, in East Tennessee, what are the opportunities that you're seeing for great buys right now? We're having trouble finding them. The only deals we really ever do are direct to seller. So it's really every time the moment a broker gets a hold of it, the price is so inflated to me, running our numbers and underwriting, it doesn't make any sense, especially with interest rates the way they are right now. So we have a pretty robust direct-to-seller marketing system through cold calling and email campaigns and mailer campaigns and stuff like that. So that's how we're getting most of our deals right now. So we're, we're currently flipping right around $3 million of real estate right now, and those are all direct-to-seller. Single families? You said there was an 11-unit well, in Chattanooga. Yeah, the 11-unit in Chattanooga, we contracted it two weeks ago. We bought it for a million three, put 120 into it, and we contracted it for 2.3. So we got a good little lick on that. And that's why I like apartments is because the scalability of it. So they're just hard to find right now. Are there any particular ways that you're targeting your direct-to-seller lead generation right now? Is there a particular type of seller or type of property that you're looking for? Yeah, typically we run it based on the statistics of it, like years of ownership. We can run it on whether it's an LLC or whether it's an individual. A lot of times your LLC people are a little bit more savvy than your individuals. They value simplicity more than money a lot of times. You can get better deals working directly with individuals because we can just come in, cash clothes, refi out on the back end, and it makes it easy and simple for them. So those are some of the baseline strategies that we try to get. We don't try to do tons and tons of volume because I don't have a unit count I'm trying to hit. We're trying to get a cash flow number. And if our cash flow and our cap rates don't meet our metrics, then whether it's 20 units or 200 units, we don't do it. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. So the opportunity that you're seeing is really lead-driven, off-market, getting direct to seller. With regards to your lead generation platforms, what's working right now? Is it primarily cold calling or SMS? Is it direct mail? Is it online ads? 
we've tried everything. And then this year, it's been brutal. We have a full-time cold caller that works for us. We've done Facebook ads, targeting people in general areas. That can't be super specific. We've done Google ads and it hasn't worked well. So we'll typically allocate ten to $20,000 to a marketing campaign and just let it run to see if it actually makes sense. Because you can't throw $2,000 at something. And if you may get a deal and you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And you may not get anything. This is the worst thing ever. Really through marketing channels, you have to put a good bit into it to get a good data sample to see whether or not it's working at the time. But what we were doing in 2020 and 2021, it was easy. Things were just falling all into our lap. People were calling us and it was great. But in this past year, things have firmed up a lot, which has been really interesting. And the stuff that is out there, it's just so expensive. It just doesn't cash flow that well. So that's why we've branched out into other things. And we did get that 11 unit, which just turned out really well because when we turn that from close to close, it'll be right around six months on it, which is good. And that's our first apartment asset that we flipped. All the other ones we've just held. Well, I'm not your competition. My wife is from Farragut, but has no interest in returning to East Tennessee. I'm in the Cincinnati market. We have listeners across the country. Sure. What advice do you have for people like me and our listeners who are feeling the same thing you're feeling about all brokered deals, who are feeling the need to get direct to seller in order to find good deals? I want to start you off with something you've already said, but what advice do you have for us in getting direct to seller? The first thing I heard was you have to dedicate ten dollars to $20,000 to a lead generation system or platform before you really know what the results are going to look like. A $2,000 investment in a lead system is too small of a sample size to really know what you're getting into. Is that fair? And what other advice do you have for us? I think that's completely fair. And I think our market's probably more affordable than some. It's probably more expensive than others. So if you're looking at it from a national standpoint, a good way to look at it is you need to be generating several hundred leads per generation platform to try to do it. Right. And if you're not able to generate several hundred leads across 20,000 spent, it's probably not going to be effective. But the good thing about the apartment stuff, all you need is one. And then you can make $800,000 on one deal if it's the right one. I'm working a 64 unit right now, and that was a direct-to-seller. And he says he's got a 110 unit in Tallahassee, 160 unit in Middle Tennessee, and he's got, I think it's an 84 unit in Virginia. So if I can consummate this relationship. Yeah, I hope you get a hold of those as well if the deal is good enough. I know, and we're structuring all in a seller financing because we're selling it in a way. It's like, listen, if I give you $5 million for the 64 unit asset, the government's taking half of it. So that's probably doesn't in your best entrance. But what if I could write you a check for $18,000 a month for the next 30 years? And if you pass, you can transfer that asset because that note is an asset down to your family and you can have residual income and we give you 10% down, 500 grand down, and it's not blowing up your tax bill immediately. And the side of that, that was a really attractive setup for this one individual. So they're in Milwaukee and I've offered to fly up and drive up and meet him and everything. It's like, oh, I just got so much stuff going on, but I've been working him for nine months. So to me, the key is you have to be patient. Patience is really one of the key markers of success in addition to consistency. 
if you're consistent in your outreach and your outlook and trying to find stuff and you're patient and picking your right spots, you can't get in trouble. So our LTV, there's a lot of debt on our portfolio, but we're averaged about 50% equity in all of our stuff. So we're not over leveraged. And one of the reasons that we can stay at such a low leverage position is because we were able to pick our poison, pick our assets very, very specifically and not just get deal hungry. Because that's when you get in trouble is when you get deal hungry. I haven't done a deal in nine months. I'll just do this deal. And it doesn't make sense. And you're putting yourself in a position because frankly, right now, my Morgan Stanley account, we're getting five and a quarter percent in savings, which is completely liquid and there's no risk to it. So we have a ton of money just sitting at five and a quarter percent interest that's just sitting there building and we're waiting and positioning ourselves to find good opportunities. Because what's going to happen if you think about it, everyone who bought in 21 and 20 people were on two and three year notes, those notes are going to be refinanced onto current rates. And if they didn't do a good job on ramping those projects, they're going to be in a hard spot and they're not going to be able to get a loan on it. So what's going to happen is since they're not going to be able to refinance, they're going to be forced to sell it. And the bank's going to put pressure on them to sell it because they can't get a new loan on it. And there will be opportunities next year for sure on assets that will be coming to the marketplace and selling just because even if they're cash flowing at the current rate, you go from a three, five rate to seven, nine rate, and they didn't ramp it properly in the meantime, because they were just fiddling around. This can create an opportunity for people like me who are cash heavy right now, because we haven't done very many deals. And we can scoop in and take those opportunities. So we're cash heavy deal poor right now. I'd like to buy 50 units a year at least on the GP side and really leverage our cash working for us. But we're staying patient to find that opportunity because the people in 08 and 09 and 10, the people with all the money made all the money because everything was just such a steep discount because the market completely fell out. So the people who did really well were licking their chops. Will, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, go for it. What you got? What is the best ever book you recently read? The best ever book I recently read was Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I guess it can be related to this conversation because it has a lot to do with inner battles and inner turmoil and stuff like that. Because a lot of success and business and everything is mindset. And then money is not the purpose. It's not why we're here. I'm getting a little spiritual on you, but there has to be a greater purpose because you can never make enough money. Money doesn't make you happy. So that book has really helped me with my mindset in battling desires that aren't the best desires and being able to focus on what really matters and layering that into all the other aspects of my life. And it helps keep your mind clear and why you're doing what you're doing. Because if it's just to make money, once you have a certain amount of money, it just doesn't mean that much. Especially in East Tennessee, because you don't need that much money to live. If you're making several million dollars a year, you have all the money in the world in East Tennessee. You don't need any more. It's almost like a what's the point. So if you can create a really good mindset, like what is my purpose more than profit? And that book has helped me a lot with that. Speaking of that, Will, what is your best ever way to give back? We're really heavily involved in our local church, which is great. There's a group that we're also heavily in. It's called Thrive Knoxville. What they do is they bring kids in after school programs in downtown Knoxville. Their parents are working till seven, eight o'clock. The bus drops them off and they have nowhere to go. 
And they didn't have this organization. These nine-year-olds would just be roaming the streets with no one at home. So this organization, it brings them in, it feeds the early dinner, helps them with their homework. There's ministerial aspect to it, like preaching Christ to them throughout the time. And then they bus them back to their parents' house. So they drive around and pick them up from their houses, take care of them and bring them back to their parents' house once they're, they're back from work. And that's been a really cool thing to help protect and foster the youth and people who their parents have to work because they have to provide and they can't be there. So that organization helps fill the gap, which I think is really important. That's awesome. Will, on the properties you have acquired, so deals you have done, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Probably the biggest mistake, I don't know if it'd be a singular mistake, but I've learned over the years, especially when you have partners, is communication. Setting expectations on the front end with your partners and communicating clearly throughout the entire process, especially if you're partnered with people who aren't your family members, and understanding the dynamic. Do you have a contingency plan if one of your partners passes away or if they get in ill health or they go into financial restraints and they're wanting to sell the asset and stuff like that? So really kind of have a game plan with your operating agreements and just laying out worst case scenarios, just understand, prepare for the worst, but hope for the best and really building your structures and your assets with, we don't know what could happen to either of us. And if something does happen, how would we handle that with our spouses left with the assets? And you basically inherited a partner that you may not have. So going through that and no one's ever died or anything like that, but really sitting down and game planning, especially if you're planning on holding these assets as a wealth building tool, a lot can happen in 20 years. So the initial mistakes I made with that is not really considering that and then having to go on the back end and flesh all that stuff out, if that makes sense. It does. And Will, what is your best ever advice? The best advice I can possibly give someone wanting to give the game or who's trying to expand in everything is consistency. You have to work with excellence and you have to be consistent with it. There has to be consistent daily active pursuit of improving because it's the people it's not the people who get a couple deals and they skyrocket up to it that are the winners it's the people who consistently stick with it through 10 20 30 years so i've been doing this for a decade and we've been able to acquire a lot of assets and build a lot of really great companies and it's not because i'm anything special it's just i just one foot in front of the other every day for a decade i'm planning on doing that for the next decade and being able to leverage other people to help you succeed because I'm only one person. So understanding human resources, how businesses work and delegating is really important. And that's a consistent effort to find that balance. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? They can email me. Probably the best email is wil.g at honorsproperties.com. It's plural. It's probably the best way to get in touch with me. That link is in the show notes. Will, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks, Slocum. Appreciate you having me. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter 
Just go to besteverCRE.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.